0: You know how I go through my like DIY fever phases?
1: Oh, I I just call that life.
0: I'm in another one and my DIY fever theme is caning. I can't oh. stop looking at caning DIYs.
1: You know, caning not something I'm into. Also just makes me think of like old people hitting children in school.
0: No, Tyler. No,
1: I I know it's the, you know, woven grass fabric stick thing. <laughs> I don't know what it is. Um, I'm also not a fan of the look because I don't want my house to look like it's straight out of 1930s. But, you know.
0: I like the boho-y vibes. And so I found this headboard that I'm super excited to make. And it's, out of, it's an Ikea hack. And so, literally, combining caning and Ikea hacks, I'm in DIY heaven. I mean,
1: I think everything should be mid-century modern. And I will put hairpin legs on everything.
0: I mean, I've got some hairpin <sighs> legs. All in my house.
1: I'm going to get some shoes, turn them into hairpin leg heels. Just two foot heels that I walk around on. Those are called stilts. (laughs) But hairpin stilts.
0: Hairpin stilts. So that's your next project?
1: Yeah, and then the project immediately after that is a DIY cast for my broken legs. (laughs) (laughs) I can just get some, like... You know, Modge Podge and some free newspapers. It's basically plaster.
0: Yeah, totally. Just, you know. You
1: know what? I'll just, I'll do a concrete DIY and I'll just shove my leg into a bucket of concrete. That'll be fine, right?
0: I think you're going to have to have your leg amputated if you do those things.
1: Yeah, but
0: I I would look good with a prosthetic leg. I mean, they can do more. The technology is advancing crazy for prosthetics on a serious note.
1: Listen, technology is just advancing. You've seen, and I know I'm like three years behind on this, that terrifying robot lady with the face. It's a human face, and she's a robot, and it's the most terrifying thing ever. Because it's in the Uncanny Valley, which, listeners, if y'all don't know what that is, it's the thing where things look almost human, but not fully. And it makes your brain freak out, because it's like, something's fucking wrong with this. Like, if you've ever seen the movie Polar Express that. Those people. Yeah,
0: that Uncanny
1: Valley. Weird. But yeah, I don't remember the robot's name. Maybe it's like Ellen or something. I think it's like a person's name. Maybe it's oh. Gina. Anyway, literally, if you Google like creepy robot lady, it's I promise you. it, it will, <laughs> Come on. She's horrifying. But technology.
0: And on that note. Hello, everyone. This is a blood and wine. I'm Brittany
1: and I'm Tyler. And I guess we're just erudites no what's the when you're scared of technology it's just the p
0: pterodactyls no
1: no no i'm the only one i think of is plebeian and that's also not it anywho we're scared of technology i guess as we record this audio podcast for the internet
0: using a lot of different types of technologies to be able to see each other while we are 200 miles apart
1: 2020 is weird
0: Oh or I my guess God, the future's yes.
1: weird, and we're in the future. Like, I, I fully, I'm like, no, this isn't the present anymore. This is just the future, and it's just dystopian.
0: Dude, the future is the present.
1: I'm not high right now, <laughs> but but you might think it.
0: Well, let's dive on into this episode, because it's gonna be a doozy. Before yeah. we get to the topic and all of the that shebang, I want to tell you guys about Patreon. Check it out if you haven't. We've got all of our beautiful murder minis. Thank you so much to our supporters. That is where... Beautiful murder minis? uh, Well, horrific murder minis. Yeah, yeah, that's a little better.
1: (laughs) They're aesthetically
0: pleasing. But Patreon is where you can go and continue to show your support and get some extra content. So hop on over and check out our page. It's patreon.com slash Pod.
1: Also, make sure that you are subscribed to our podcast. Just head over to whatever platform you're listening to us on. Hit that subscribe button and that way you'll automatically get all of our new episodes right when they release every Tuesday.
0: So, Tyler... This topic is one that we've kind of done a little bit. Like, we've had cases that would fall Mm -hmm. into this topic, but we've never had this be our focus before.
1: No, and I can't believe we haven't, honestly.
0: It's one of the most terrifying things that I think you could ever really imagine, and that's because we're talking about being held captive. Yeah.
1: And I know my case in particular is probably one of the most horrifying and intense cases I've ever done. So, it's it's just so much. And I think one of the big parts of it is we've done things like torture, but held captive, like, by definition, it is torture, and it's a long time period.
0: A lot of the cases, yeah, to be... I guess, and I honestly, I didn't look this up, but in my head, it makes sense for there to be a difference in like kidnapped versus held captive. Held captive is that longevity and that length of time that you're being imprisoned.
1: Yeah. And I mean, you can definitely, I don't know, I guess you could say that, you know, someone's held captive for a day, but that, yeah, when I think held captive, I think like months and years.
0: So that, that's our horrific topic for the day. And so before we get into that, let's get into our wine. And we're doing something a little bit special this time. Yeah,
1: for this episode, if y'all checked out our Instagram and stuff, and I think we might have mentioned it like last episode, Brittany visited me here in Austin last weekend. And we had wanted to, because we were together, like, oh, we should like do a wine together. But okay, you know, how are we going to do that? Well... We got the same wines, but there's a twist, because we got two different wines, but it's the same one, and it's one bottle.
0: What?
1: We got two cans of wine. That's what we did.
0: I don't feel like you described that very well. We got four cans of wine total, two (laughs) each, and we each took one of both different wines. So basically, we're going to try the same wines, and there's two different wines. There's a lot of wine. Lots of wine in this episode.
1: I think that's exactly what I said, Um, but (laughs) anyway, I'm going to take over the first one and describe the wine. We're both going to drink it, and then at the mid-episode break, in between our cases, Brittany is going to describe her wine, and we're going to open that one.
0: Yeah. So, Tyler, what's the first wine that you've picked for us? So, the first
1: wine we're drinking today is the Artwork Artistic Wines Rosé from Modesto, California. It's a can of rosé. And to be honest, it was kind of difficult to research. Mostly because when you type in artwork rosé, artwork o- artistic rosé wine, <laughs> a lot of Etsy popped up. <laughs> and and there's like no website on the can or anything. So the only thing I could really find was um, from the H-E-B grocery store website like where we bought it so i don't know if it's an hub exclusive i don't think so but who knows if you've ever seen this can of wine elsewhere then it is not but they describe this wine saying that uh their delicious rosé brings the art of our vineyards to your fingertips it invites you in with a nose of red berries and stone fruit the palate showcases a fresh, crisp, dry style, boasting flavors of watermelon and apricot with balanced acidity. The wine is silky, it has a medium-bodied mouthfeel, and it's rounded with a really delicate dry finish. And they said it pairs really well with slow-roasted chicken or a grilled peach crumble, which sounds gross.
0: No, that actually sounds really good.
1: I hate cooked fruit. We, I think we've talked about this.
0: And how you're wrong.
1: It's a gross texture. Like apple pie filling.
0: You're a gross texture. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs)
1: I've been in quarantine for six months. We all are.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, there you go. I haven't
1: been able to get Botox in a year. I'm a gross texture. (laughs) But anyway, this can of wine was like $3. And a can of wine is a half bottle. It's 375 milliliters, a bottle, 750. So it's a little more than two glasses of like proper pour, but it's a it's a one glass Tyler pour. No, it's two. But yeah. Also, Brittany, when you drink canned wine, do you pour it in a glass? Because I definitely didn't grab a glass. I'm just going <laughs> to drink it out of the can like a plebe.
0: Um, you can do that. I grabbed a glass.
1: Well, I should go grab a glass then, right?
0: It's wine. You just, I mean, you can drink it out of the can. You absolutely can. But like. Drink
1: it out of the can like it's a natty light and I'm an 18 year old frat boy.
0: You could do that. But I like drinking my wine out of the glass. Also, it's one of those things that if you don't realize a can of wine is a half bottle and you drink it out of the can, you drink far more than you imagine. So, yeah, I'm all about a glass.
1: Okay, well, then I'm going to uh, go grab a glass so you don't judge me. All right, glass in hand. Let's uh, let's open these up.
0: Okay. Mm, it smells like wine. It does. It kind of sprayed my desk.
1: Yeah, cans will do that. It's also just weird to pour something
0: out of a can and it not really be fizzy.
1: I mean, there's some bubbles.
0: There is, but I think it's more so just movement. Also, it's a dark pink. It
1: is. Well, when they said it was a medium bodied, I don't know if I've ever had a rosé I would call medium bodied, really.
0: This is interesting.
1: Are you smelling red berries and stone fruit? I'm not really smelling anything.
0: I almost smell watermelon instead. stone fruit. I literally fruit.
1: can't smell anything on it, so...
0: It's because you filled your glass so high.
1: No, it's because it's not aromatic. Well... I need this wine. So, cheers?
0: Dude, you know how my day was. I definitely need this wine, too. Cheers.
1: (coughs) Cheersing with a can is weird. It is really weird.
0: Hmm. I don't know what to think. It's not bad. It's not great.
1: It doesn't taste like a whole lot.
0: No. I get a bit of a fruit taste. Like, it's not as dry as I would prefer, but it's not sweet. I definitely would not call it sweet. It is still a dry rosé. Yeah. Yeah. But it, like, immediately disappears.
1: I'm, like, not tasting anything. And then when I swallow it, I get a little bit of, like, something. But it's, like, mostly the acidity.
0: So you're telling me you can't smell or taste. And do you remember a couple episodes ago what you said we should be afraid of when we said we couldn't smell and taste? What else have you smelled and tasted today?
1: I had soup for dinner. It it was fine.
0: Could you taste it?
1: Yeah, I mean, it was mostly just spicy, but I I th- I'm blaming the wine. I don't think I have coronavirus.
0: I know, but I'm just saying. I <laughs> I am just bringing up something that you brought up in the past. I will say this is a very basic wine. Yeah, there, there's just there's not a lot to it. Like I don't have a lot of complaints, but I don't have a lot of praises either. If you are, I think mine could stand to be a little bit colder, but. Uh, it should be fine. I don't know. If you like rosé, this may not be your favorite because you're not going to get those characteristics that you want.
1: Yeah. But again, it was a $3 can, so it'd be a $6 bottle if you know you priced it that way. And as far as that goes, I would say it's a solid rosé at that price point. Yeah. Um, it's definitely not bad. I'm going to enjoy drinking it but mostly enjoying it because I'm like, ooh, it's a glass of wine, not necessarily this specific, but if you're someone who likes like that lighter flavor profile, then it would be more up your alley. If you're honestly if you're wanting to take some wine down to the pool or the beach or you're going camping or something, cans are great. Yeah. It's kind of like uh the boat box I had however many long ago, episode long ago. The whole thing's recyclable, which is awesome. And it's nice and portable. If you were out on a hike, you could just, like, drink from it. Maybe hiking and drinking wine isn't the best, but that so also to sounds say, wonderful.
0: If you're hiking, you should probably be drinking water. Please drink water when you're hiking.
1: Okay, but also think about... Okay, let me set the stage. You're in the mountains or whatever, and you wake up at, like, 4 a.m. to go on the hike because, you know, you're going to go see a thing. You hike for a few hours. You probably actually woke up at like 3 a.m. to start your hike. You hike for a few hours and then you get to the mountaintop and you get to see the sunrise on the mountaintop. It's like misty. And you have a can of wine at 7 a.m. on a mountain.
0: All right. Okay.
1: Okay. Flip the a.m. and p.m. and then have a can of wine at sunset. I don't care. (laughs)
0: I get up at 3 a.m. to hike and drink wine.
1: Listen, when you're (laughs) camping and hiking, time doesn't mean anything. Because you're also like, well, it's been dark for four hours. I know it's only 9 p.m., but I guess we should go to bed. Also, I don't know where we are. The sun rises at 7 a.m. and sets at 5 p.m., but...
0: So, I... Winter. time. Yeah, this wine is Okay. I honestly don't have much of an opinion. I don't hate it. I don't love it. It is just that, oh, I'm drinking a glass of wine. Do I ever want to buy this one again? No. Am I glad I only spent $3 on it? Definitely.
1: It's one. I could see myself buying it again if I was buying cans of wine for something, but because it's like the cheapest one and it's not bad.
0: Right. And like you said, it'd be great for like a pool or to just for the convenience factor. But like I said, if you love rosé, this is not the rosé for you. This is not going to give you what you're wanting out of it. But okay. So we've got our first half bottle of wine. And we'll pause again, like I was saying at the, the mid break in the episode, and we'll try my wine and I'll tell you all about it then. But that's not happening right now. What's happening right now is Tyler's gonna jump into his case. So Tyler, who was held captive? Tell me your case.
1: So mine is the captivity of Elizabeth Fritzel, and the sources I used, the Wikipedia page for the Fritzel case, an article in the Independent by Tony Patterson, an article in Film Daily by Beckheim, and an article in Medium by Bess Haubrig. And if the case seems a little familiar as i'm getting into it it is the case that inspired the book room by emma donahue and also the film room which i haven't seen and it was like nominated for oscars and stuff right
0: i actually won some
1: okay well if y'all have seen the room then get ready for the real case
0: i saw the movie and it's horrifying so knowing that that was like the theatrical version and you're about to tell me the real life version i'm not really ready for this
1: Yeah, I mean, I've never seen it, but from doing the research, the real thing is worse. I can confidently say that. So, Joseph Fritzl, he was born on April 9th of 1935 in Amstetten, Austria. And in 1951, when he was 21, he married a 17-year-old woman named Rosemarie. And the two of them had three sons, four daughters, including Elizabeth. And she was born April 6th of 1966. Joseph Fritzel, Elizabeth's dad, he was a fucking monster. Horrible. In 1967, Joseph followed a mother home from the grocery store and raped her at knife point in her bed while her infant child was, like, sleeping in a cot next to her. And he was caught, and the court gave him 18 months in prison.
0: That's it?
1: Yep. And not just that. Because of the Austrian justice system at the time... His rape conviction was expunged after 10 years, which was pretty much at the time done for almost all crimes, regardless of their severity. After 10 years, they're expunged from your record. And um, his later crimes are actually the reason why that law was finally overturned in 2008. Good. So pretty much to everyone else, Joseph Fritzl was just this family man everyone in the town was like oh yeah he like he just seemed like the prototypical dad and at their house he was like a structural engineer or something like that so he was very good with like construction and design and stuff and at their house he started this big expansion he wanted to build um, it included this huge like labyrinth cellar that was under the outside rear of the house like under the backyard and then on top of the house he was built like s- several different apartments
0: Lots of rooms.
1: Yeah, lots of rooms. But the thing is, him building all this, because he was an engineer, no one in Armstetten, like, thought it was weird at all. Right. It's like, oh, yeah, he's, you know, building a couple apartments onto the house to rent out to people. Yeah, whatever. Also, around this time, Fritzl, he began showing these, like, obsessive tendencies around Elizabeth, who at this time is, like, 12 years old. He was demanding to know where she was at all times, and he was spying on her and then these behaviors they began to escalate in nineteen eighty one elizabeth she started a gastronomy and tourism course that like taking classes for it out of town, and to support herself and earn money for this, she started like waiting tables. And that infuriated her dad because she was gaining some level of independence away from him. Yeah. And so he escalated his obsession with her. He started, like, exposing himself to her. He would leave, like, porn stories under her pillow and he was sexually abusing her.
0: And this stemmed from him being jealous that she was gaining independence?
1: I mean, he was obsessed with her.
0: Uh, yeah yeah and for that to be the catalyst for him to just intensify these things that he's doing
1: and pretty much no one other than her and her dad no one in elizabeth's life knew any of this like not even her siblings or her mom her friends described her as just this like very introverted girl at school and they knew that she liked school better than home but no one ever really asked like why by 1983, Joseph Fritzl, he'd finished building the cellar, which he said was like, oh, I'm going to use it for like a workshop and for storage. But he also built it as a space that he had like maximum physical control over every part of the cellar, every room that was in it. So it had like lighting and a bunch of different like connected rooms. I mean, it's basically like a fucking prison that he built under their backyard.
0: Oh, my God. So, oh, I was picturing. Sorry. I keep getting the movie stuck in my head because th- the movie is not based on the story. The movie is based on a book that was based on the story. So in the movie, it's a shed in the backyard. And so that's what I've been picturing. But you're talking about this like underground labyrinth that he created. Yeah. Underneath the backyard. Yeah. That is literally terrifying. Mm hmm.
1: And it was also terrifying this and everything that he was doing to Elizabeth uh, terrified her. And in January, she ran away to Vienna. But when she got to Vienna, she was pretty quickly found by police. They picked her up, and because she was still a minor, her dad, you know, they called her dad to come pick her up from Vienna. On the drive back to Amstetten, Fritzl told her, I'll never let you run
0: away again. That was a threat? Nope, that yeah. wasn't a threat. That was an actuality.
1: That was a promise that came true just a little over a year later. So on August 28th of 1984, Elizabeth had just turned 18, and Fritzel um, lured her into the basement of the home, just being like, Oh, I need help carrying this door to set up. Will you help me? Like, Will you hold the door in place while I get it done? And what this door was, is it was the door to this, like, labyrinth chamber that he built. And so he had her get on the other side, so she's, like, in the hallway of the chamber. He's in the basement, and then he seals her inside.
0: Oh my god. Locking her in this labyrinth.
1: Well, he, like, gets the door into place with locks, and then he holds, like, an ether-soaked towel to her face to knock her out. And then he just, like, pushes her down into the chamber and like seals her in
0: okay oh my god and he just like walks back upstairs and out
1: yeah she's trapped in there i mean unconscious and so she's disappeared like the rest of the family no one knows where she went so her mom files a missing persons report because she's like who the hell is my daughter yeah assuming i think most likely she ran away again yeah yeah And about a month later, Joseph Fritzl handed a letter to the police, and it was a letter that he'd forced Elizabeth to write while she's in captivity. And it was a letter that was postmarked in another city in Austria. And in the letter, Elizabeth wrote that she was tired of living with her family. She's staying with a friend. And she's warning her parents not to look for her, or she would, like, leave the country. And Fritzl's like, yeah, I got this letter from her, you know, in the mail. See, it's postmarked from this other town. And I think she probably joined a religious cult.
0: Does his wife not know about this labyrinth in the backyard?
1: She knows that, like, he built something. But again, he was saying, like, oh, it's his, like, workshop and storage. And he's an engineer, so... You know, have him having a place, like, draw designs and build shit. She's like, okay.
0: Yeah, but I hate that underlying, and you're not allowed to go there. It just makes yeah. me think of so many monsters we've talked about before who have, like, this area in their own home when they're where they're doing sick shit and their wife doesn't know about it because they're told, like, not to go there. And I'm just like, yeah. come on.
1: If I'm ever in a relationship with someone, and like married, and they try to pull the like, oh, this is my space, you can't come in. I'm going to be like, oh, I'm sorry, who pays for half this house? I can go wherever the fuck I want. I don't care if it's your craft room. That's cool. You can do your crafts in there. But if I need to go in there and get something, or if I want to go in there and just stand, it's my goddamn house.
0: Well, and it's like Jerry Brudos' wife wasn't allowed to go into the garage. That kind of thing is just crazy to me, which is why I asked if she knew it was there. Now, him constructing that without her being aware would be very impressive because that was seemed like a huge undertaking. Yeah, But I wonder if she ever had that moment of like, what is he doing down there? But again, like, I'm sorry, I have so many thoughts because it's like you were saying everyone thinks he's this great guy. And so I'm sure she never imagined that he was keeping their daughter down there.
1: No, I mean, I think... He was, like, very much, like, obsessed with his work and stuff, and I think it would not be difficult to believe him when he's like, oh, that's my space where I go to, like, you know, sit down and draw blueprints and design shit. Like, that's my working space. And she's like, yeah, that makes sense. You're, like, a structural engineer and shit. Yeah, But, you know, once the police got the letter and everything, that was kind of case closed. Like, okay, we know where she is, and she ran away, but she's an adult now, so that's that. Oh, God. And so Elizabeth would remain held captive in the chamber for the next 24 years.
0: 24 years?
1: Yeah. She was 18 when he locked her in there, and she did not come out until she was 42.
0: I... I'm in such shock right now. I can't even imagine that length of time. That is almost like your entire life.
1: I mean, it's longer than... She spent more time when she got out of that. She had spent more time in the chamber than out in her life. And also remember, it's like underground. Yeah. There's no windows, there's no sunlight, nothing. So over the next 24 years, Fritzl visited Elizabeth in the chamber almost every day. He would bring her food, other supplies, but also over the course of 24 years, he raped her at least 3,000 times.
0: I don't even know how to comprehend that number and what she went through.
1: Yeah. And because of how often that was happening, it was basically impossible to avoid getting pregnant. Right. And so her first pregnancy, it ended in a miscarriage, but in 1988- she gave birth to her first daughter, Kirsten, and pretty much from there on out, whenever she would go into labor, her dad would give her books on childbirth, a rag, a pair of scissors, and some wet wipes, and leave her to give birth alone in the cellar.
0: She had her babies by herself?
1: By herself. And she gave birth a total of seven times while being completely alone in the cellar but no sunlight seven times. Her second child, Stefan, he was born in 1990. He would later in life grow up to have like horrible back pain because he grew up to be 5'8". And so he couldn't fully stand up in the cellar. Like the roof wasn't that high.
0: Oh my God, how tall was the roof?
1: I mean, I'm assuming since he was 5'8 and had to like always lean over in it. I mean, it was probably like just a little over five foot tall.
0: He was never able to stand up.
1: No. In August of 1992, her third child, Lisa, was born, and she had a heart defect. And because of that, you know, she was, like, crying constantly, and Fritzl was like, oh shit, I don't want the family and everyone upstairs to hear a baby crying underground. So what he did is he took Lisa, and he put her in a basket, and he left her on the doorstep of their house with another note that he'd made Elizabeth write and basically this note was like I gave birth here's my baby like I want her to live with y'all again still with the like facade that she joined this cult
0: so that way it wasn't like he was getting rid of the child he was just bringing the child into their lives so because I didn't know if you were going to go down the path of he wasn't allowing these children to live or but it, it seems like he's caring for these children i mean not in a good way by any means or are you about to go into some really dark stuff even darker
1: we're gonna go into some real dark stuff elizabeth's mom rosemary she you know found this baby from her daughter on the doorstep and was like oh my god and i guess she could tell the baby was sick or i mean probably she was just like oh shit Baby on the doorstep, we need to go to the hospital get her checked out. Right. But she was able to get, like, emergency surgery and pretty much lived, like, a normal life upstairs with the family um, that she thought, you know, oh, I'm being raised by my grandparents.
0: So because she had the heart defect and just all because he didn't want the family to hear her crying and, like, I guess, run his whole fucked up plan, she got to live in the house, which it frightens me that she was still around him
1: yeah eventually 3 of the of her children lisa monica and alexander would you know be removed from the cellar when they were babies left on the doorstep in baskets and the 3 of them would live upstairs with elizabeth's parents and like social services were aware like oh babies on the doorstep and they would make like regular visits right they authorized them as foster parents Because to everyone, the stories were checking out.
0: This man is so deranged that, like, how sick do you have to be to come up with this type of plan? I know.
1: It's horrifying. After Elizabeth gave birth to her fourth child in 1994, Fritzel allowed them to enlarge their prison from 380 square feet to 590 square feet, or 35 square meters to 55 square meters. Which, like, so she was living down there all this time in a studio apartment-sized space. Yeah. But how he allowed them to expand it is he made Elizabeth and the children, like, dig the soil with their bare hands to enlarge the room for years.
0: Oh my god, so they had to literally, like, tear down the the wall of their own home and dig it bigger.
1: Yeah. Well, they, they had to just dig the walls, because, like, remember, they're underground. So, downstairs, in their prison, they had a TV, a radio, and like, a VCR. They had a little fridge that they would keep the food in that Joseph would bring down to them, and then they had, like, hot plates that they would cook it on. Elizabeth taught her children how to read and how to write. And, remember, Joseph has like, full control over everything and sometimes to punish them he would just like turn off the lights for days or he would just refuse to deliver food to them for days
0: i have no words right now like i just feel sick it's
1: horrifying and at this time elizabeth she's had four children lisa's living upstairs three she and her three of her kids are all downstairs kirsten stefan and felix and Joseph Fritzl told them that if they tried to escape, they would be gassed. And he also told them that they, if they tried to like open the door or unlock the door, that they'd get an electric shock and they would die. And he is an engineer. I mean, shit, he built this whole place, so I'm sure Elizabeth is like, you know, I absolutely believe that that is a hundred percent true.
0: Of course, yeah. Everything else she's seen that he's done, it is. So why would she not believe him?
1: One of the most Horrifying things I saw in one of my sources is in one of the apartments that Joseph Fritzl had built on the house, you know, because he'd when he built the, like, dungeon, he'd also built on apartments and rented them out. And there was one person that, like, rented a room in the house on the ground floor for, like, 12 years. And they claimed that sometimes they would hear noises coming from the basement and coming from underground, And Fritzl was just like, oh, it's faulty pipes and it's the gas heating system. Like, don't worry about it. But he was hearing Elizabeth and the kids.
0: Can you imagine the horror you would feel once you realized what those sounds actually were if you were that man who'd lived there
1: for 12 years?
0: He heard so much.
1: But I mean, it's underground. It's muffled. So it might really have just been, you know, muffled sounds of like banging and stuff that, oh, yeah, that's totally is pipes
0: it's the stuff. pipes yeah
1: but no it was them cooking and living and being trapped down there in april of 1996 elizabeth gave birth to twins michael and alexander and michael when he was born he had really bad breathing problems so Fritzl he just allowed michael to die and once he died, he took his body and just threw him into the furnace at the house.
0: Oh my god.
1: Alexander was one of the kids that was basket babied and lived upstairs. So now we flash forward to April 19th of 2008. So Kirsten, who is the first child born, she's now 20, by the way. And she fell unconscious. She got real sick. And Elizabeth was like, we have to take her to the hospital. And Joseph Fritzl, eventually he agreed, okay, I'll take her to the hospital. So Elizabeth helped carry Kirsten out of the cellar. And this was the first time she'd seen the outside world or been beyond this door in 24 years. Yeah. But... Once um, they got Kirsten, like, into the house, he made Elizabeth go back in to the chamber. I don't even know what to call it. I don't want to call it the cellar, but I don't know. Dungeon.
0: It's the dungeon. Yeah, it is absolutely a dungeon.
1: Joseph then called an ambulance, and Kirsten was taken to the local hospital. And she was admitted. She was in serious condition. She had, like, a life-threatening kidney failure. And a little bit after that, Joseph got to the hospital, and... He claimed he'd found a note that Elizabeth had written and he, like, showed it to the doctors. I'm not 100% sure what it said, but he's, like, talking about the note and Kirsten's condition with the doctor, who's taking care of her, Albert Reitner. And the doctors and nurses and just the medical staff at the hospital, they were confused because Fritzl's story was it was not adding up. So they contacted the police on April 21st, but Again, they're not sure what they're dealing with. So the police, they sent out an alert like public media, the radio, TV, you know, things Elizabeth is down there and can see asking for Elizabeth for this missing mother to come forward and be able to provide some information on Kirsten's medical history. Because this is a 20 year old woman who has no medical history right, and no record of anything. She has, like, no record of existence. Yeah,
0: of existence. Well, and, like, so I'm backtracking a little bit. So when he took Kirsten into the house, I'm assuming the rest of his family wasn't there. And then maybe their knowledge of this came at the same time as this, like, note from Elizabeth that the doctor saw and that the family saw. Like, he keeps using these fucking notes as his explanation for things. And at a certain point, like now, that's going to break away. Because why would Elizabeth just keep writing all these notes? Well, and the thing is, Kirsten hasn't been seen by anyone.
1: So I'm thinking he's this story is like, she's real sick and Elizabeth like sent her to us with this note. Right. It's just weird.
0: But there is no evidence that she exists, period. So why would she be sent? Yeah. And I get like, they were like, Um, yo, Elizabeth, please come forward.
1: But also, with everything happening, the police are like, something about this doesn't seem right. Like, no. So they reopened the case file on Elizabeth's disappearance and they re interviewed Joseph Fritzl and was like, So what happened again? And he again, he like repeated his story that Elizabeth's in this cult. And, you know, he presented, he had this most recent letter from her from January of 2008 so just a few months prior, and it was postmarked from the town of Kemitton And so the police were like, okay, so she's in Kemetan, she's in this cult, let's contact this guy we know who's a church officer and an expert on cults in the area, see what he knows about any religious cult that Elizabeth might be a part of in this area. And when the police were talking to him, he was like, that doesn't sound like any cults I've ever heard of. Like, this doesn't seem right. And he also looked was re- going through the letters and was like, no, this is not right. These aren't letters someone wrote. These are letters that someone dictated.
0: Yeah, that's one thing I was wondering. If it sounded like a legit scenario, or if at a certain point when you've got all of these letters collected, can you tell that they were written for, like under force?
1: Well, this church officer and cult expert was like, No, these are written under duress. Like, someone was forced to write these. At the same time, back in the dungeon, Elizabeth is, like, pleading with Fritzl to, like, let her go to the hospital to see her daughter. Because for the past 20 years of Kirsten's life, she has never spent a day apart from Elizabeth. Elizabeth has never spent a day away from her daughter, and now her daughter is life-threatening condition in the hospital. And she's like, I need to see my daughter. Yeah. And so on April 26, he actually released her from the cellar along with her sons, Stefan and Felix. He brought them upstairs and he was like, okay, we're going to the hospital. Like, you're not going to say anything. You get to see her and then you're coming right back. Well, when he got to the hospital, Albert Reiter, who was the doctor that raised the initial alarm. Right. He saw them and he was like, holy shit, that's Elizabeth. So he called the police and was like, y'all need to get here right now. They're here.
0: Did Joseph know that an alarm had been raised with the police? I I don't think so. Okay. Because I feel like he couldn't have known. He wouldn't have let her come.
1: No, I think like the only thing that's been discuss with him and the police is them being like, asking him to retell the story of Elizabeth's disappearance. Right. But since, you know, Kirsten's Elizabeth's daughter, like, I I feel like that just would make sense, and not be like, oh shit, they're relooking into this. Yeah. So he hadn't, I don't think he had any idea, but police got to the hospital, and they detained Joseph and Elizabeth, and took them to the police station for questioning. And so For the first time in 24 years, Elizabeth was not under her father's control. But when she got to the police station, she wasn't giving them any details until they promised her that she would never have to see her father again. And as soon as she knew that she was actually safe from him and that her kids would be safe from him, she told them. Over the next two hours, she told them the story of the past 24 years that she was being held captive. She told them how her dad had raped her and forced her to watch pornographic videos. He would then make her reenact them in front of her children in order to humiliate her. And then shortly after midnight that night, police officers completed the interview and Joseph Fritzl was arrested.
0: Finally... It is about damn yeah. time.
1: Yeah. That next night, April 27th, Elizabeth, her kids, and her mom, Rosemarie, they were all taken into, like, care, into, like, protective custody. I
0: wonder I I wonder how Rosemarie a- reacted to all of this. Because, like, Elizabeth has known this is going on. Like, she's been in, in yeah. the know, and Joseph's been in the know, and Rosemarie has had no idea that she's been living and loving a monster.
1: She's had no idea.
0: That her daughter is in the backyard.
1: Yeah. That she was married and loving this man who could do this, and that her daughter, who she thought had been missing for two decades, was feet away from her. The whole time. So Fritzel was charged with murder for the murder of Michael, along with charges of rape, incest, kidnapping, false imprisonment, and slavery. And initially he pled not guilty. At this time, Elizabeth and the kids, they started like intense therapy and like acclamation to the outside world. Because again, her captivity started in nineteen eighty four and it's now two thousand eight. Right. She doesn't know what the internet is. She's never seen a cell phone. Like, and again, she hasn't seen the sun in 24 years.
0: I'm surprised she wasn't, like, blind.
1: I know. I mean, they did have lights down there, but he would turn them off on occasion. You know, I don't know how much time they spent in total darkness. Yeah.
0: Because doesn't, like, time in total darkness make you go blind? Because you can't see anything. I think so. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think eventually your eyes just, like, fall out of use. That's not the right phrase, but...
0: No, I get what you're saying, though. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And as they, like, head towards the trial, Elizabeth prepared a taped deposition for her father's trial. There was, like, not going to be any press or members of the public allowed at the trial. But then she decided that that wasn't enough. And so she showed up at the trial, and she she wanted to confront this monster. And when Fritzel saw Elizabeth at his trial... That was when allegedly he changed his plea to guilty and just started like weeping uncontrollably. And I'm like, oh, so after twenty four years raping your daughter over three thousand times, being the probably one of the most depraved, horrendous monsters I've ever heard of. I'm like, I'm sorry, you don't I'm like, you, you don't even get to have the catharsis of feeling guilty. You don't even deserve that.
0: Yeah, you don't you don't get to feel bad. You fucking did this.
1: So he was sentenced to life in prison with the possibility of parole after fifteen years. He's not gonna ever get parole. It, it's one of those systems where it's like that's I think that's the maximum sentence, but it gets re reviewed and he's never going to get out. Good. Elizabeth and her kids, they recovered remarkably well given everything they'd gone through today or when the article was written was a few years ago. Elizabeth, she enjoys spending her time shopping. She takes... She loves showering. She wasn't able to do that. And she loves driving. She passed her driver's test without difficulty. And she's also found love with her bodyguard so that the government assigned her a bodyguard. And, of course the two of them fell in love and he seems i don't know, he seems like an amazing guy yeah. the article described him as like almost this like big brother type of guy to her kids and like just being an awesome guy and also if anyone fucking deserves to fall in love it is elizabeth
0: yeah and she finally had an example of what a good man is she's never known yeah. that she's only known her father yeah. who was a monster
1: all of her kids they've developed normal sibling relationships with each other, and the three upstairs children began recognizing Elizabeth like as their mom because again they didn't know her right they' i mean they'd been told that she was their mom, but also that she abandoned them and sent them to
0: live with grandparents. Could you even imagine what it would have been like to be one of those children who learns that your grandparents, who you love and who raised you, were actually holding your mom captive in the backyard? That just doesn't even sound real.
1: Yeah. I I mean, it's one of those things where I feel like sometimes when you read true crime cases, you want to shout, like, how do you people not, like, how can you not believe that this person is this monster? But when you think about it, can you imagine just being like all of this happening for your own parents or one of your loved ones? No, your first reaction, like, no, that's something's y'all are wrong. Right. Like my grandpa wouldn't do that. But today, the kids, they love being outdoors. They play video games and they love spending time with their mom and their grandmother. And despite the strange relationship, Elizabeth and her mom, Rosemary, they started visiting each other more, and Elizabeth eventually did forgive her mom for believing her dad's story. And so their relationship has more or less been repaired over the years, but through everything that they all went through... Over Elizabeth being held captive twenty four years, the kids being held captive their entire lives. I mean, they were all born; they'd never in their lives seen the sun.
0: They didn't know or
1: been outside. They didn't
0: know anything other than this dungeon. That was all they, they what,
1: knew. Yeah, if they ever saw grass or leaves, it was on the TV or in one of the books they had, mm-hmm. or their mom describing it. And I mean, the oldest, Kirsten, she was twenty, but through everything. They are surviving and thriving. And that is the story of the captivity of Elizabeth Fritzl and her children.
0: I'm so... I want to look at the silver lining of this story, that they are living this beautiful life and that they are thriving. And that through this horrendous torture, there was only one fatality. Holy shit, though. I don't even know how to respond to this kind of case. How do you... How do you feel when you hear something like this? That this actually happened? This, I mean, it just doesn't sound real.
1: No, this this sounds like the kind of thing that would be in a horror movie that is too gruesome or horrifying to be believable. And this is life. This is happening. Or this happened. Yeah, when I said at the beginning that this was one of the most horrifying cases I've ever researched. Yeah.
0: 100%.
1: So... I have a couple sips left, but let's get into, tell me about your wine. What wine are we about to drink before we get into your case?
0: I don't even really know, honestly, how to transition from that case to talking about wine right now, because I'm just in such a horrified state that I'm just like, okay, it's pink, it's wine, let's open it. But no, I will tell you yeah. about my wine. I'm just in shock yeah. right now.
1: No, I think um, I think you and me are going to need a... um. 10-15 minute interlude that uh, listeners will we'll be right back. It won't be any kind of interlude for y'all but for us it is.
0: Yes, I think an interlude is completely necessary so be right back. Alright listeners, we are back. That was a much needed break. We finished that first wine, we took a breather, we had a conversation that was not about anything related to anything that we just discussed and now we're ready to dive into the second one.
1: yeah you know i will say especially when we do cases like this i can fully understand why a lot of people who listen to true crime podcasts it takes a day or two to get through one episode yeah because i don't know how y'all that do can listen to it one straight through i mean i know we're like we research and record it right straight through but damn
0: yeah i hope you guys took a moment to pause and, and take a little bit of an intercession as well
1: You know what, I will say one last caveat to that. I say that, I've also binged watched multiple episodes of, like, I Survived, and it's kind of the same thing, so maybe, maybe I recant my former statement.
0: Oh no, I'm normally not one that pauses anything. I will binge everything. So, I'm one of the people you don't understand, and you don't even understand yourself, apparently, but today was different.
1: I mean, that's the realest statement of anything. I don't understand myself.
0: Who does, though? The wine that I picked is also in a can, and which you already knew that. And it's also a rosé, which I don't know if y'all knew that. But it's the Ava Grace Vineyards Rosé. This is one of the prettiest cans. It's almost like this mosaic of shells, like pink shells.
1: Yeah, it's given me like Art Deco, Mother of pearl rose vibes
0: like a hundred percent why i picked this can it was so pretty and this wine it comes in a bottle as well they have just also transitioned it to a can to make it more portable and convenient it also might not be ava it might be ava it may actually be ava grace ava grace get
1: your ass over here oh one can's two and a half glasses
0: yeah it's still a half bottle This rosé is very bright, it's fruit-forward, and it's wine from the vine to the bottle, or in this instance, to the can. It has subtle floral and stone fruit notes that produce an earthy but elegant wine that pairs really well with different types of foods. You'll get a bright nose of wild roses. The palate showcases this very fresh, crisp, dry style that has flavors of apricot, honeysuckle, and balanced acidity. So, Tyler, it sounds so similar
1: to what we just had. It sounds very similar, but more floral.
0: It's a silky, medium-bodied mouthfeel, and it's rounded out with delicately a delicate dry finish.
1: That's almost the same verbiage that mine
0: was. So, it's at this moment that I would like to point out something that Tyler and I noticed right before we started this episode, not when we picked out these cans. Mine was bottled by the AVA Grace Vineyards in Ripon and Modesto, California. If you remember, Tyler's was also canned in Ripon and Modesto, California. So we are not 100% sure if these are different wines or if they are the same wines. And we've talked about things like this before. So in one of our past episodes, we were mentioning wines at Trader Joe's, not the Trader Joe's wines, just wines that they carry that sometimes have a different label and name. And they're not associated with the vineyard because of just the low price point and what they're able to do. So when Tyler was saying that he couldn't find information except for on the HEB website, I'm really wondering if these are not the exact same or just insanely similar wines.
1: I mean, it's kind of like when you go to a supermarket and you're like, ooh, do I want to buy the name brand Fruity Pebbles or do I want to buy the like bag with the blue kangaroo on it that's Fruity Pebbles? It's actually the same thing from the same factory.
0: Exactly. And this can was $5, I believe. So almost double the price of yours. Last thing I'm going to say before we pop these open. Some of the suggested food pairings are slow roasted chicken and vegetable carbonara. Or, wow, Tyler, you're going to laugh your ass off. Grilled peach crumble with mascarpone cream.
1: Oh, I think we're about to drink the exact same wine again. Damn it! I, I'm not going to be able to smell or taste it then.
0: So, listeners, I, full transparency, had not completed my notes on the wine when Tyler talked about his. Otherwise, I would have totally recognized that peach crumble because, again... You would have clocked that. I would have clocked it. It sounds really good to me. So, okay. We may be having the exact same rosé, which is hilarious because by no means was that our goal. All right. Well. You ready to open these up? Let's do it. Bottoms up. Oh, it just sprayed my forehead.
1: Just like the last can.
0: That one got my desk. Oh. Does that look identical or what? Yeah. Yeah. I'd be kidding myself if I said I think it looks a little bit lighter. I think I'm just trying to find a difference that doesn't exist.
1: I know. When I first poured it and it like had the bubbles from pouring, I was like, oh, it's a little lighter or peachier. Now the bubbles are gone. No. Can confirm cannot smell a thing.
0: (laughs) Can confirm smells the same. I've got a little bit of a fruity note and we're not going to be able to tell the difference. Oh my God. Tyler, how did this happen? We could have bought four cans of the artwork one.
1: I know, damn. You know what? The final test, though, is absolutely the taste. It is. So, cheers.
0: Cheers. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's the same wine. Mm -hmm. There's no difference.
1: Yeah, I think that's the exact
0: same wine. I 100% feel the same as I did earlier.
1: Yeah, copy-paste our previous comments. It's fine.
0: How weird is that?
1: I just feel like duped.
0: I know. I feel like... I
1: feel lied to. (laughs)
0: Well, it's one of those things that, like, we couldn't have figured this out in the store because my description was on it and a lot easier to find. Like, I went to the Vineyard's website. Yours was just on HEB's website, but it's literally, like, word for word. The same. And I just... This is... Yeah, I'm having that moment of like, okay, you've got name brand and you've got the off brand, that's the same stuff, just in different packaging, which, by the way, if you didn't know that when you shop, flip the cartons around of your shampoos, look at your store brand, look at your name brand, they've got the same stuff in them. If you can find a difference, then there is a difference, but a lot of the times, that difference doesn't exist. So just... If you are trying to be more budget-friendly or you're in, in a position where you need to cut back a little bit, COVID is real, you guys. It's it's real. We've got to look at the money we're spending. Look at brand labels and stuff. Because really, you can find the same stuff that's cheaper. And uh, if yeah. you want rosé in a can, I'm telling you, if you can go to an H-E-B, get artwork and not AVA, it's the same thing. Sorry, AVA. Yeah. I mean, they obviously pr- are producing
1: both of it. Oh, yeah, no, it's the same. I mean, my wine is the Old Navy and yours is
0: the Gap. Mine's probably the Banana Republic because it's a really pretty can. It's the Gap. It's $5 can. Okay, fair. <laughs> You're right. I've seen a $9 can out there before.
1: That's Banana Republic. And if it tastes the same, if it's the exact same wine and they're trying to sell it for $9, bucks, i am going to flip a table. <laughs> I won't. My arms are sore.
0: But, okay. Well we've got more wine are you re- we do. are you ready for me to jump into my case
1: i'm really not but go ahead what is your held in captivity case
0: the case that i'll be talking about today is the imprisonment of amanda berry gina de jesus and michelle knight the sources i used an article on wikipedia on the ariel castro kidnappings an article on biography an article from the daily mail by megan sheets and an article in ABC News by Ali Yang. Amanda Berry, Gina De Jesus, and Michelle Knight were three young women living in Cleveland, Ohio. In the years from 2002 to 2004, they were all kidnapped by one of the city's biggest monsters, Ariel Castro. Monsters, by the way, is the theme of today's episode. Fucking Monsters. It really
1: is. We could title this episode, Fucking Monsters.
0: Yeah, and it still wouldn't be intense enough. No. Ariel Castro worked as a bus driver in the Cleveland Metropolitan School District until he was eventually fired for bad judgment, which that included things like making an illegal U-turn with children on his bus, using his bus to go grocery shopping, leaving a child on the bus while he went for lunch, and leaving the bus unattended while he took a nap at home.
1: What the fuck?
0: He's not a great guy. Like, right off the Uh, bat, you can tell his judgment, kind of not there. Not a good one. Yeah, no. Castro kidnapped his victims by offering them a ride. He drove each of them to his home, lured them inside, took them to the basement, and restrained them. So the first of his victims was Michelle Knight. She disappeared on August twenty third, 2002, after she had just left her cousin's house. At this time, she was 21 years old. So on the day of her disappearance, she was scheduled to appear in court for a child custody case involving her son, Joey, who was at the time custody of the state. Michelle had had some difficulties in her life. She was currently homeless and therefore she didn't have custody of her son. Because she was an adult, there were very limited resources spent on investigating her disappearance. Authorities basically believed that she ran away voluntarily because she was really mad about losing custody of her son. But Castro had kidnapped Michelle. He took her upstairs, tied her hands and feet together, and pulled her up using her hands, feet, and neck. And he left her there for three days without food. That's only the beginning. Amanda Berry disappeared on April 21st, 2003, so a few months later, and this was on the day before her 17th birthday, so she was 16, much younger than Michelle. She was last heard from around 8pm, and at this time she had called her sister, letting her sister know that she was getting a ride home from her job at Burger King, but she never made it home. Castro took her to a bedroom, and she said it was just really dark. And he never turned on the lights. And there was a smaller room off of the bedroom, maybe like a big closet. And Amanda was taken in there. Castro pulled down her pants. And it was at that moment she she knew that whatever was happening was not going to be good. Castro chained her to a pole and left her in a dark room with the television on. Initially, the FBI considered Amanda a runaway until about a week after her disappearance when an unidentified man used her cell phone to call her mom. When her mom answers, he said, I have Amanda. She's fine and will be coming home in a couple of days. FBI, they were able to narrow down the phone's location to about a 30 to 40 block radius, but despite exhaustive search measures, they couldn't find Amanda. Georgina Gina, as she was called Lynn de Jesus, she went missing at the age of 14. So Castro's getting younger and younger. Yeah. She was last seen at a payphone around 3 p.m. on April 2nd, 2004, and she was on her way home from school. She was in middle school. Castro had a few children with a former wife, and one of their children was a girl named Arlene. Arlene had called her mom for permission to have a sleepover at Gina's house, but her mom said no and said, like, no sleepover tonight, and so the two girls parted ways. So what's, what's really sick about this is Gina was friends with his daughter. Yeah. Arlene turns out to be the last person to see Gina before her disappearance. Gina was under the impression that Castro was picking her up to drop her off at home. She knew this man, it was her friend's dad, and she's like, cool, totally, yeah, take me home. So there was no one that witnessed her abduction, and an Amber Alert was never issued. What? Why? I don't know exactly why, and it was one of those things that infuriated her parents. They also didn't understand why an Amber Alert wasn't issued. She was 14 years old. Gina tried to fight Castro off and she screamed for help when he brought her into the basement and he chained her up, but her cries were drowned out by all the radios playing in the basement and in the living room. So he made sure that there was plenty of ambient noise that her screams would not be heard.
1: God, I wonder if Michelle or Amber heard her.
0: I'm sure they were there.
1: That's just also such another layer of horror that these young women... Who've already been kidnapped and chained up and they can hear this little girl screaming and they know he's got another one of us.
0: Yeah, I'm sure Michelle heard Amanda and then the two of them heard Gina. Officers actually visited Castro's home only one time following the kidnappings to discuss an unrelated incident. So they weren't even there under suspicion that he had anything to do with this. But... Castro wasn't really? there. Yeah, no, no suspicion.
1: I'm surprised they didn't talk to him even after Arlene was the last person to see Gina.
0: I know. When they knocked on the door to try to talk to him for an unrelated this unrelated incident, he actually wasn't home. And so they interviewed him elsewhere. And what's gut-wrenching about that is those girls were there at the time. They were in the house. So Castro kept the women chained in his basement for years before he moved them into barricaded rooms upstairs. They were fed once a day, and they were actually only given things like chips or crackers or snacks as their meals. Castro isolated them from each other and locked them in separate rooms. So these three women who were experiencing the same thing, they never had a relationship with each other because they were kept divided and they couldn't even talk to each other.
1: They didn't even have each other.
0: No. So even in this together, they were still alone. Castro even built deep jealousies between the three women. He treated them each differently when it came to how much food they got or what clothes they wore. And he would, he would pick his favorite. And that would be the one that got the better clothes or more food. And he really pitted them against one another. Castro also had some pretty unreasonable strict rules for how they cleaned this house and did like household chores when they prepared food they were absolutely required to keep the pan directly in the center of the stove not a little bit to the left not a little bit to the right exactly in the middle
1: does his stove have a burner in the middle i mean i guess
0: so that's weird that's what you're latched onto. to <laughs>
1: well no i mean it's all weird it doesn't even cover it, but that's just such a specific
0: weird detail. It is. He was also very particular about how they clean the kitchen, but they were only given a tiny drop of dish soap to use to wash a full sink of dishes. So, like, they didn't even have soap to clean. Additionally, he limited the amount of soap that they were allowed to use to wash themselves, and they were actually only allowed to shower once or twice a week at most. The three women did keep diaries, and the diaries, they, they were really difficult because this is where, this is where they described what was happening to them.
1: Too. I would never, ever in my life want to read them. No.
0: They, they would speak of forced sexual contact, of being locked in the dark room, of anticipating the next session of abuse, of the dreams that they would have of someday escaping and being reunited with their families, of being chained to a wall of being held like a prisoner of war. They'd write about missing the lives they once enjoyed, the emotional abuse they suffered, his threats to kill them, being treated like animals, of this continuous abuse, and of how they just wanted to be free. They desired freedom. The three women were kept locked upstairs in bedrooms. And they were forced to use plastic toilets that were not emptied very often. So they had like buckets that they had to use. Castro actually impregnated Michelle at least five times. And he induced miscarriages each time through beatings, hitting her with dumbbells, punching her, slamming her against the walls. And he also starved her. Michelle was so beaten up that it was going to require reconstructive surgery and she actually had lost hearing in one of her ears
1: is this all happening in the house that he has with like his daughter or does his daughter not live with him?
0: his kids don't live with him they live with his ex-wife okay at one point michelle had a pet dog while she was in captivity but castro killed it by snapping its neck after it bit him when it was trying to protect michelle Gina was also raped by Castro, but she didn't believe that she had ever become pregnant. Amanda, however, did get pregnant by Castro when she was 20 years old. On Christmas Day 2006, Castro allegedly ordered Michelle to help out with the birth of Amanda's daughter, Jocelyn. And the birth took place in a small inflatable swimming pool. And Castro threatened Michelle and said he would kill her if this baby did not survive. there was a certain point. When the baby stopped breathing, but Michelle was, thank God, able to resuscitate Jocelyn.
1: And this is also probably one of the first times Michelle and Amanda are meeting each other.
0: I think they had met each other when they were all in the basement, but they weren't allowed to talk to each other. So, yeah, but you're right. Like they had no relationship and Castro was like, birth the baby. And if it dies, it's on you.
1: and she was fucking able to resuscitate jocelyn oh my god
0: after amanda had jocelyn her life in captivity changed castro started becoming kinder and took off her chains once her daughter started to notice them amanda told jocelyn that the chains were bracelets and castro ordered her to say that and castro even occasionally took jocelyn out of the house including to visit his mother Jocelyn called him daddy, and Castro's mother, grandmother. And in 2013, he showed one of his daughters, who was an adult at the time, a picture of Jocelyn and said that she was his girlfriend's daughter from a previous relationship. He told others that she was his granddaughter. So he kept constantly changing his story about who Jocelyn was, but he took Jocelyn out of the house. Amanda taught Jocelyn how to read and write while in captivity. So the girls had been in captivity at this point for 11 years. Well, Michelle for 11 years, the other two for 10 and 9, because they were kidnapped over a couple year period. Yeah. And on May 6, 2013, Amanda was finally able to make contact with Castro's neighbors, leading to her escape with her then six-year-old daughter, Jocelyn, and to the rescue of Gina and Michelle by authorities.
1: Did it say how she was able to contact
0: the neighbors? yes. Castro left the house that day, and Amanda realized that he failed to lock the big inside door. However, the exterior storm door was still bolted. She didn't attempt to break through this outer door because she really thought that he was testing her. This is something that Castro had previously done. He would leave the house partially unlocked and the exits unsecured, and if they attempted to escape, he actually hadn't gone anywhere and he would beat them. So instead of trying to completely escape, Amanda screamed for help when she saw the neighbors through the screen. So again, like she was half of the way out. There's still one door, but Mm -hmm. she was able to scream. One of the neighbors, Angel Cordero, responded to the screaming, but he was not able to really communicate with Amanda because he didn't speak a lot of English. And so thankfully, another neighbor, Charles Ramsey, heard what was happening and he joined Cordero at the house's front door during this rescue attempt the two of them kicked a hole through the bottom of the storm door and amanda crawled through and she was carrying jocelyn ramsey said that amanda told him that she and her child were being held inside the house against their will and with ramsey's assistance she called 911 and she told the dispatcher help me i've been kidnapped and i've been missing for 10 years and i'm here i'm free now Police officers arrived at the home and entered. They walked through an upstairs hallway. They had their guns out. They, you know, were announcing their presence. Like, Cleveland police, we're here. And after she peeked out, like, the door was slightly opened. Michelle saw who, who it was. And she ran into the hallway and leaped into the officer's arms. And she kept saying, you saved me. You saved me.
1: Wow. It's just really powerful and just i cannot imagine the relief and terror and being being rescued being able to escape finally i don't, just the image of like her first rescuer and her not being able to communicate and like how much her heart probably fell and then someone else coming and then being able to and
0: i, I know doctors <laughs> would later tell michelle that at this point in time she only had days to live after she'd been rescued. She was dying. Like these girls were oh being held God. in such dire conditions. They were barely alive.
1: He was killing them.
0: Soon after, Michelle, you know, ran into the officers' arms in the hallway. Gina also entered the hallway from another room. Michelle and Gina walked out of the home and all three women plus Jocelyn were taken to Metro Health Medical Center. Amanda and Gina were released from the hospital the next day, and Michelle was discharged four days later. On May 6, 2013, Castro was arrested. He was charged with four counts of kidnapping and three counts of rape on May 8th, which carry prison sentences of 10 years to life in Ohio. How only three counts? Oh, don't worry. I'm about to go into a lot more. Okay. Yeah. Because- I was horrified when I read that, too. I was like, excuse me?
1: Okay, because from my understanding, like in my case, if it had happened in America, where I more understand legal system, I'm not even going to say the word understand it, but like you know, three, th- it, it could have been three thousand counts.
0: So a grand jury returned a true bill of indictment against Castro on June seventh. So about a month later, it contained three hundred and twenty nine counts, including two counts of aggravated murder under. Different sections of the Ohio Criminal Code for his role in the termination of uh, one of the women's pregnancies. Because so I told you he, like with Michelle, he forced yeah. miscarriages. Like- but these indictments only covered the period from August 2002 to February 2007. So then, a little more than another month later, on July 12th, a grand jury returned a true bill of indictment for the remainder of the period after February 2007 through May 2013. This brought a total of 977 counts, 512 counts of kidnapping, 446 of rape, 7 of gross sexual imposition, 6 of felonious assault, 3 of child endangerment, 2 of aggravated murder, and 1 of possession of criminal tools. But five days later, on July 17th, Castro pleaded not guilty to this expanded indictment. What? So Castro recalled each of the three abductions in great detail during his interrogation. And being totally transparent, I am not really sure when this interrogation happened because he was saying he was not guilty, but when he was interrogated, he was talking about everything that he did. He indicated that these were all unplanned crimes of opportunity. Castro also didn't have any type of exit plan, for lack of a better phrase. And he did think that he would eventually be caught. He referred to himself as cold-blooded and a sex addict. He compared his addiction to alcoholism and he was just like, oh, I'm a sex addict. Like, oh, gotta do it. No. Police also found a suicide note in his home and in this note, he discussed the abductions and he wrote that his money and possessions should be given to the kidnapped women if he were ever caught.
1: The level of I, like, don't even know how to put it into words. It's kind of like, like how in my case, when Joseph, like, broke down on the court and I was, like, feeling guilty, how he doesn't deserve that. This guy does not deserve whatever good feelings or nobility or whatever the fuck he probably got out of being like, well, I'm going to leave this to them. I'm a good guy. No, you're a fucking monster. He was. You don't deserve to feel good about anything in your life ever.
0: Castro did eventually plead guilty on July 26th, so like just a few days later, to 937 of the 977 charges against him, including charges of kidnapping, rape, and aggravated murder. And this was all a part of a plea bargain, which called for consecutive sentences of life in prison, plus a thousand years, all without parole. Basically, this was his plea deal not to get the death sentence. Yeah. Under the plea deal, Castro forfeited his right to any appeal, and he could not profit in any way due to his crimes. Because you can only imagine the media at this time and how much Mm -hmm. people wanted to know what happened. And so if he told his story, he was not allowed to profit from that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm sure if he wrote a book of like, my side of my story or some bullshit, It would make money as fucked up as that is, so I'm glad that that is a stipulation. Yes,
0: me too. He also forfeited his assets, including his home, which prosecutors said would be demolished. And it was. His home was completely demolished. Castro was found hanging from a bedsheet in his detention cell at the Correctional Reception Center in Orient, Ohio, on the evening of September 3rd, 2013, just one month into his life sentence. He was 53 at the time of his death.
1: That's not fair to, I, regardless of how horrible a person is, I'm never going to praise the death of a person. No. But that's just, it's like unjust and unfair to the women, to his victims, who he held captive for more than a decade, and he was only in prison. He was only captive for a month, and he couldn't. Like, just the psychology of that. Like, he couldn't deal with a month of what he put them through for over a decade.
0: And what he put them through was way worse than what prison would have been for him. Because... So much worse. I I agree. I hate the unjust. I hate how this case is left. But I will say these three women have bounced back. There's a documentary you can watch on ABC... And they tell their story, and I couldn't watch it. It was it was where a lot of the quotes and the information came from.
1: Yeah, I don't, I don't think I could watch it. I, I started crying a little bit earlier when they were being rescued. Listeners, we we had to take a a, a little pause because I was over here crying. I absolutely, I couldn't watch that.
0: No. So these three women, Amanda Berry, Gina DeJesus, and Michelle Knight, they are fighters. And when we talked about how alone they were, they, they truly were, I'm sure they know each other better now outside of captivity than they did within because of this extremely unfortunate shared experience that they have together. But I hate that Ariel Castro, he, he committed suicide and he didn't face his punishment that he deserved for everything he did to these women. But that's my case. And can we just like take a moment to just praise how amazing and strong and phenomenal all of these women were in our episode? Because yes. the things that they were faced with are things that are beyond my worst nightmare. I couldn't even imagine I... these in my own subconscious after everything that we have read and researched and talked about. I couldn't even imagine this type of scenario. Either of these.
1: It's cases like this, that when You know, you talk about the power that is the, like, will of survival. I think these cases really highlight it because I can imagine having the mindset of it would be so much easier to die and it'd be over. And these women said, yeah, I thought that, but fuck that, I'm going to live. And that is such power and strength that I don't have. I can't I can't imagine that kind of strength, and they did it. I know. And not only that, it was that decision and mindset happening, in your case, for 11 years, and mine for 24, but they did. Yeah. And they said, you know what, I'm going to fight, even if it takes the rest of my life, however long that may be, I'm not giving up, I'm going to fight. Fight for my life and my right to exist and live. And like Gina was 14 when she was kidnapped. I know. And she was captive for nine years. I mean, that's she went through puberty and growing into an adult in captivity. And she still said, you know what? I'm going to fight for this life, for this adulthood that I don't know what it is. I'm going to fight for it.
0: What an episode, man.
1: An episode that was, I I confidently think one of our most intense, and also not a survivor episode, but it's a fucking survivor episode. It is. Well, I'm glad I still have a couple gulps of wine. <laughs> Same. I'm gonna need it for a decompression after this episode. So feel free if you all need to uh, spiritually decompress with us after this. <laughs> We're there with you when you hit. You know, pause or like, don't play next episode in your car, and you just kind of just drive with this radio off for like five miles, and you're like, "Shit, we're there with you. We're in the car with you. We're in the back seat, but we're wearing our seatbelts, so don't yep. worry." And on that note, I guess if you enjoyed this episode, if you love our podcast, make sure to head over to Apple Podcasts, rate and review us, leave us those five stars, and write something we love hearing what y'all have to say we love reading y'all's reviews it's amazing
0: it really is and be sure you like and follow us on social we are on instagram and twitter at blood and wine pod we're also on facebook blood and wine podcast or blood and wine a true crime podcast i think that's our full title on facebook so be sure there to hop over, like and follow us. What look at our content, share messages, share your content, talk with us. We we just love conversing with you guys.
1: Yes, we do. And honestly, we all need as much human contact as we can get these days. Damn
0: right, man.
1: So if you just want to message us and be like, "I had a rough day at work. How are y'all doing?" Do it. We're here for y'all. Do it. We're here. Sometimes we're at home. We too. just want to sit. <laughs> I mean, like, literally, probably the first 30 minutes that Brittany and I hop on, we just, like, talk and catch up. Granted, we talked on the phone an hour prior every time we record. But uh, that just, like, I need to talk to another person about my day is so important, regardless of the times, but now even so much more so. So you know what? If you're like, y'all, I just need to vent. And this is what my boss did today. Queen, we are here for you.
0: We absolutely are.
1: And with that, this is Blood and Wine signing off.
0: XOXO. Bye, you guys. Bye.